me if you would and take your Bibles tonight. Let's turn to two places, if you would. John chapter number 4. John chapter 4 and then Romans chapter 10. If you'd go there. John chapter 4 and Romans chapter number 10. We're going to read first in John 4, familiar passage of scripture as Jesus has been dealing with the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, and his disciples missed what he was doing because they were gone buying food in town. They come back and they're kind of wondering what happened, why is Jesus talking with this woman, and he begins to speak to them about doing his father's will. But I want you to notice what he says in verse number 35, a very familiar verse of scripture, no doubt to most of us here, as he says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. What Jesus is really trying to say to his disciples here is you, you can discern the times and the seasons of this earth and the harvest fields and all of that, but you really need to be more in tune with what's going on spiritually and the opportunities that are around you all the time. And, and this is something that, this is really the reason, folks, that we have a missions conference. It's so that we will lift up our eyes, that we'll take some time to really consider the needs of the world. And my hope and my prayer is that in seeing, that we would be moved. The Bible talks about Jesus, Mark chapter 6, Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and it says he was moved with compassion toward them. Acts chapter 17 says that Paul... His spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Jeremiah said in Lamentations, Mine eye affecteth my heart for the daughters of my people. And so this concept of seeing and then being moved is really the reason that we have a meeting like this. To just take some time and lift up our eyes and look and see and, and hopefully be touched and be, be moved and motivated by what we see, but I want you to go over to Acts chapter, or Romans rather, Romans chapter 10, and we're going to begin reading here in verse number 1, in Romans 10 and verse number 1, it says this, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. But then if we'll look down, and we'll, we'll get into this passage in the message here tonight, but look down, if you will, to verse number 13. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you know that truth and you love people, then your heart's desire and prayer to God for them ought to be that they would be saved, that they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. But I want you to notice in verse number 14 that he says, How then... Shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And so I want to preach to you tonight a message. I don't normally, I, I've, never, I've never done this before, preach the first mes- message of a missions conference as the pastor of the church. But I just felt led to do that this week because the theme of the week is this. A burden is not enough. A burden is not enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that tonight as we look into your word, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, and that you would just speak through your word to our hearts. Lord, we've already prayed that your will would be known and that you would bring it to light. And I just want to ask one last time that you would enable me as your vessel, as your messenger, to carry forth the message that you have for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. So while we take time, we set aside time because of the importance of seeing the need and being stirred with the need. And we've been in Philippians on Sunday mornings and uh, chapter 2 is that statement, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. There is a great need to just take some time and, and, and set it aside to kind of look away from our daily needs, right? Our daily lives. And to focus in on, Lord, who are the people out there that I'm supposed to be reaching, right? We need to take time to lift up our eyes and look on the fields. And and again, my heart's desire for you and for me is that, that in looking, that we would be stirred, that we would be burdened, that we would be moved, that we would not be complacent. I think it's tragic that many Christians today are, are truly complacent. Uh, uh, about the, the loss all around them. They're not moved by the fact that souls are dying and going to hell uh, every single day. And we need to be moved. But we get this picture from comparing some scriptures tonight, and that's why I had you read with me in John 4 and now over here in Romans 10, that while it is a good thing and an important thing to be burdened, for missions, to be burdened for lost souls, a burden in and of itself is simply insufficient. I am not here tonight as a saved child of God because someone had a burden for me. I am saved tonight because someone took action and brought the gospel to me. And I'm afraid that sometimes we feel we have accomplished what we're trying to accomplish even in a meeting like this when we feel that we've been stirred. When we sense that the Lord really met with us and we saw some things and learned some things and were moved about some things. Maybe, you know, I even went to the altar and and I was in tears and broken about something and we feel as though we have actually accomplished something. But isn't it fascinating that here in Romans chapter 10, as Paul expresses in the very first verse, here's what my heart really is. And and he talks about this. He says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. My heart's desire. He's not saying, you know, uh, simply, 
I know intellectually that they need to be saved. I think that's where some of us stop. I've got a lost brother or sister or neighbor or coworker or someone else that I know. I know that they need to be saved and I would even like to see them get saved someday. But, but have we moved from knowing that someone needs Christ to actually being within our heart burdened about this need? And, and he says, my heart's desire is that they would be saved. If you go over to chapter 9, just the previous chapter, he says this in verse number 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, <clears throat> that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ, for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Imagine the gravity of that statement. He says, God is my witness. I'm not embellishing here. God knows my heart, and my heart is such toward the people, my people, Israelites, Jews. He says, my heart is such that I am so burdened for them that I am continually in heaviness and sorrow... Because I, could, I, I, I wish that they would get saved. And, and he says that I, I wish this so much, this desire is so great, that I could wish myself accursed from Christ. I, I don't know any other way to read that than, than for, to read it as Paul saying, I would be willing to give up my salvation if it meant that they could be saved. I mean, that's a burden, isn't it? I mean, this is a guy who has caught the vision, and he knows the need, and he's been stirred, and he's been moved, and it's affected him not just, not just intellectually, but even emotionally, to where he says that I, I'm continually burdened about this. I, I, I'm in continual sorrow and heaviness for, for my people, my brethren, I want them to be saved. And, and can I just say, folks, that if, if we are not burdened for the people around us and for the people that we love and for our family and for our friends, something is wrong. Something is wrong. And I want you to notice, he, he begins in verse 2 of chapter 10 describing why he is burdened for them. He says, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now, this is a description that was fitting for the Jews but it's fitting of most religious people. I, I talked to you about those North Dakotans, right? Moral, family values, go to church on Sunday kind of people. There is a certain zeal of God. There is a certain pride, really, that is uh, uh, wrapped up in my own goodness. 
But you see, your own goodness will not make you right with God. And it's very possible even to be zealous for the things of God and not know God. And here's what he says of, of Israel. He says that they were ignorant of God's righteousness, therefore they went about to establish their own righteousness. And, and, and again, this is such a... When you talk to people, well, do you know that you're a sinner? Yeah, I know I'm a sinner. I mean, everybody's a sinner. I'm, I'm human, right? But do you know that you have offended a holy and righteous God? Do you know that your sin is sending you to hell? Do you know that your righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the eyes of God? I mean, do you really see yourself as God sees you? And most people don't. And the reason is because they're comparing themselves among themselves. They're ignorant of God's righteousness. Their standard of righteousness is others. And when I compare myself to others, as long as I choose the right people, I look pretty good. But when we compare ourselves against the holiness and righteousness of God, we all fall short. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so here's this problem, and I want you to see that as Paul is burdened about these people, he recognizes what their problem is. He sees their religious zeal, but their lack of knowledge of the righteousness of God. And then, from verse 4 onward, he begins to describe the solution to their problem. And he says in verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. In other words, don't think in your heart that you have what God's looking for. Verse number 8, but what, but what saith it, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart... Man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so he says this is the solution to their problem. And friend, if you're here tonight... And you've been living your life trusting in your own goodness, trusting in your religion, trusting in your good works to make you right with God. Here's the answer. You need to humble yourself before God, recognize your sin, and turn to Christ. And believe on Him and receive His gift of eternal life and call upon His name. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And whosoever means you too. And you can be saved. But then he begins to ask this series of questions. And it's a series of questions that we would do well 
to truly consider ourselves. Because it says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And this is a, a thought that many Baptists need to, need to hear. Because there is a, a movement among Baptists and among evangelical type churches to try to get people to make professions of faith, believing if you can convince them to pray a prayer, if you can get them to repeat some words, that then they will be saved. And if they've prayed the sinner's prayer, if they came forward in, in, a, in an invitation time or they sat down with their Sunday school teacher and they repeated a simple prayer asking Jesus into their heart, asking Jesus to save them, that now they are eternally secure in Christ. But friend, there's a problem with that because they can call, they can say words with their mouth, but they can't truly call on Christ until they believed in Him. And there has to be a genuine heart of belief in Christ if they are to be saved. Praying a prayer doesn't make you saved. Saying words, repeating words, doesn't save you. Getting baptized doesn't save you. Going through some religious ritual doesn't save you. What saves you is faith in Jesus alone. And so, so Paul says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? You can't be saved if you don't believe on Christ. They need Christ. How can they believe? Well, according to verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is what people need. They need the gospel preached to them. They need the word of God preached to them because as we preach the word of God to them, what happens? They begin to understand the righteousness of Christ. They begin to understand their own sinfulness and they begin to understand that Jesus is their only hope. And faith begins to become a reality in their heart. So he says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed and then he asks this question, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Now listen, I'm going to say something. I don't think it's too controversial in our crowd tonight, but this is a very controversial thing in the world. Here's what you need to know. People ask the question all the time. What happens to people who die who have never heard the gospel? They've never heard of Jesus. Let me give you the Bible answer. They go to hell. I know that's not comfortable. I know we don't like that reality, but it is a reality. Some of the more prominent evangelical preachers in recent years have tried to get around this truth and get around this reality by lying and saying, well, you know, I believe if they just respond to whatever light they have and whatever truth they know, and they don't maybe even know the name of God or Christ, but, you know, if they're sincere, then I just believe that God is going to save them. Listen, friends, listen. Acts chapter 4 says there is salvation in none other. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is one way to eternal life and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so what, it, what, about, what about those lost souls in, in a world of 8 billion people and literally billions who have never heard? What's going to happen to them? Friend, if someone doesn't tell them, they're going to die without Christ. That's the reality. That's the reality. And we can sit here and we can be burdened just like Paul was burdened for his people, the Jews, but he at least was aware of the reality they're never going to be saved if some preacher doesn't tell them. Because they won't call on him in whom they have not believed. And they can't believe on him of whom they have not heard. Folks, we have a responsibility. Because there is a world that is perishing. And then he says, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Okay, we want them to hear. Because we're burdened. But the only way they're going to hear is if someone tells them. One of the things that we've had many a conversation about in our home is don't expect someone else to do it. We've said it this way. Anybody's job is nobody's job. <laughs> Those of you who have multiple kids know this reality. Anybody's job is nobody's job. So this. Hey, someone take out the trash. Does it happen? No, because, sorry boys, Isaac's expecting Matthias to do it, and Matthias is expecting Isaac to do it, and Levi thinks his big brothers are going to do it, and, and Silas is figuring, well, if, if, if I don't do it, at least Levi can do it, right? So anybody's job is nobody's job. And so they'll walk past the trash can and say, man, someone needs to take out the trash. But it, that, does, does that recognition fix the problem? No, what fixes the problem is when someone says, the only way that this is going to get fixed is if I take the responsibility and do it. And folks, this is the reality of these questions. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they uh, 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 hear without a preacher? This, this reality is, is such that we need to say, if I don't go, then who will? If not me, then who? We have to get past this concept and this idea that someone else will do the work that God has given us to do. We all bear responsibility in this harvest field. All of us. You included. Now, I don't know in which corner of the world God expects you to do this work. And it may be that it is just here in Franklin County and where, where you are. Maybe. But that in itself is not, a, not an excuse to say, well, I don't really sense some special uh, 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 
calling or something. And so, you know, I'm going to worry just about the people in my community and leave the rest to others. Listen, I'm burdened about the lost in other places. I'm burdened that missionaries, it seems like, are fewer and farther between than I've ever experienced in my life. I'm burdened about these things. But the reality is, how can I, how can I lament? Well, nobody seems to be going anymore. And even sit back and say, where are the men who will go? If I myself am not willing to say, here am I. Send me. You know, that whole concept of Jesus in Matthew 9 saying, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. It's not this idea Lord, there's a big harvest field out there. Someone needs to get busy. Would you send someone? Am I right? I mean, how do we not say, Lord, here am I? And I would say it to you this way. You may say, well, I just don't have a calling to go. And to that I would respond, do you have a calling to stay? Do you have a calling to stay? Listen, here's one thing I know. I know that God has me here in St. Clair, Missouri. And I am confident of that for several reasons. Because God put me here after many months and even years of praying and wrestling with the Lord. Trying to understand, Lord, where am I supposed to be? I've tried to go to the mission field. And honestly, I've laid awake nights wondering why someone who's willing to go is being called to stay. And all I can say is I don't, I don't know the mind of the Lord, but I know that this is where he has me. And by the way, I'm, I'm glad to be where he has me. I'm thankful for that. But I just want to simply say to you, don't wait for some miraculous sign in the sky for t- to be willing to say, Lord, where do you want me? If God wants you here, you ought to be here, but you better be here because you know this is where God wants you to be. Because there is a lost and dying world. And it's not going to get done As long as we keep waiting on someone else. 
So he says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And then it says, and how shall they preach except they be sent? You realize that God's plan, God's plan is not simply for individuals to respond to a calling in their life and say, okay, I am going. God's plan is actually for churches to be about the business of sending. In other words, let me say it this way, missionaries don't go to the mission field, missionaries are sent to the mission field. This is God's plan. And part of the sending process is mutual partnership and sacrifice. I want you to go back with me, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter number 13. Acts chapter 13. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. It says, now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia and from thence sailed unto Cyprus. So here, I want you to follow this with me. The passage says two things about sending. It says, the second thing it says is that they were sent forth by the Holy Ghost. They were sent by God. But first it says that the church laid hands on them and sent them away. You say, well, who were they sent by? Were they sent by the church or were they sent by the Holy Ghost? And the answer is yes. Here's the the reality, friends. If you're not sent by a scriptural church, you're not sent by the Holy Ghost. Because that's how the Lord's work takes place. He's entrusted the Great Commission with His churches and, and, and he's, he's gifted His churches with individuals to carry out the Great Commission in different capacities. And then all that work that is to take place is to be done in and through that church. And so they were sent with the blessing of the church and the Lord recognized that and blessed them in the work. So they were sent by the church and by the Lord. And don't misunderstand that. You can't skip that step. There there is such a thing as following the Lord after His due order. And this was the order. And so, what am I getting at? I want you to notice these were men who were serving as pastors within the church at Antioch. And I want you to think about what you know of these men. Saul who we know as the Apostle Paul, and Barnabas. We don't know much about these other men. I'm sure they were great men too. But let me tell you this. If you had Paul and Barnabas 
on the pastoral staff of your church, do you think it would be easy to let them go, leave the church, and go carry out the ministry that God had called them to elsewhere? What I'm saying is this took some sacrifice on the part of that church. They were sending the best and brightest that they had. They were giving of their very best to the work. Why? Because God said, separate me. By the way, he says, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. He refers to them in the third person. And there's some debate as to who the Lord was speaking to. Was it just the other pastors of the church? Was it the church as a whole? But I would say this, it's very clear. He was not simply speaking to Barnabas and Saul. He didn't say, Barnabas and Saul, it's time for you to go. He said to the church, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. I've already called them to a work, but as a church, it is your responsibility to separate them and send them. Because this work was not an individual work. It was the corporate work of the church body sending forth. Because in God's economy, preachers are sent. In the same way that he has ordained that the gospel message is to be preached, he has ordained that preachers come from churches. You say, well, what does that have to do with us? Here's what it has to do with us. If we are going to take the step and say, you know what? A burden is not enough. Then you and I are going to have to be willing to say, Lord, here am I. Send me. And as a church, we're going to have to be willing to say, Lord, raise up from among us the very best that we have so that we can give them. Yes, it's going to be hard and it's going to leave a big hole here and we may not know who's going to fill that place as a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or a faithful servant in this area or that area. But you know what? That's okay, Lord, because we know that if we give to you, we can't outgive you. You'll provide for our needs. And so, Lord, we give you Whoever and however, because it's not enough to just be burdened about missions. We've got to be willing to take action. Are you willing to take action? Are you willing to be honest with the Lord and say, Lord, I'm willing to do anything that you lead me to do. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to stay. I'm willing to labor where you put me. And I'm willing to give my very best. Because it's not enough that my heart's desire is that they would be saved. Because they can't call on him in whom they have not heard or believed. And they're not going to hear without a preacher. I'm not going to preach except they be sent. And so, Lord, wherever I fit in this process, put me there. Because a burden's not enough.